mornings. I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, from the added cost to the effect on voter turnout, State Representative John Cross discusses the impact of Ohio's split primary. Also this morning, replacing one stigma with another, how a common side effect of certain medical treatments for mental health conditions can cause issues all its own. The Hancock Leadership Class of 2022 is partnering with the Hancock County Cultural Humility and Health Equity Delegation to spread the message that you belong. We'll get details. And flowers and candy are nice, jewelry is always appreciated, but we have some creative and unique ways to show mom your love for the first post-pandemic Mother's Day. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022. You're looking for a reason to celebrate today. It is Lumpy Rug Day. Uh, I kid you not. I would not make these things up uh, because this is serious stuff. National Two Different Colored Shoes Day. I don't know that I've ever worn two different colored shoes. Socks. That's another thing. I I have done that, Uh, but never two different colored shoes day today. Garden Meditation Day. It is Paranormal Day. National Raspberry Popover Day today. It is Wordsmith Day. Chocolate Custard Day. Public Radio Day. It is Sun Day. Not Sunday. It is Sun Day. Two words. And National Teacher Day, which is observed the Tuesday of Teacher Appreciation Week annually. So, big salute to all the teachers reasons to celebrate observances and so on today the uh, big news lots of things going on i'm going to be a big big news day uh barricades have gone up around the supreme court uh overnight over reports that uh, roe v wade uh may uh may the days of roe v wade may be numbered uh both sides of the abortion debate began protesting last night soon after a draft document was leaked and reported on by Politico, showing justices are ready to strike down the decision when they issue a ruling in the uh, next couple of months. Um, Should be uh, by the end of June. If the report proves true, it would then be left to the states to decide the issue, um, sparking celebrations among conservatives and protests among liberals. I mentioned both sides began protesting, not necessarily protesting. The left was uh, protesting. The right was celebrating. The uh, top two Democrats in Congress say if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it will be an abomination. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi issued a joint statement last night on the report. They said it would be one of the worst and most damaging decisions in modern history, not just on women, but on all Americans, they said. But again, those on the right are uh, are cheering, um, and this, I want to know who leaked this. Uh, you know, how did Politico get a hold of this? Because that is very unusual for uh, a a draft of an opinion of the Supreme Court, especially one as consequential as this, is very uh, unusual for that to be leaked. I would be interested to uh, to learn how Politico got their hands. On uh, that report, uh, we may never know, but uh, that that I think is maybe even the more interesting part of the story. We'll see. And again, a lot of folks are saying 
Now, emphasizing this is just a draft, it may or may not be the final ruling, but I don't know that anyone would be particularly shocked if it were the ruling. I mean, given the current makeup of the court and the way things have uh, been leaning on the Supreme Court for several years, not necessarily surprised if that turns out to be the uh, the ruling. But time will tell. That will be one of the uh, big stories today. It is primary day, primary day one of two in the state of Ohio today. Voters will be going to the polls, not deciding all of the races, but the uh, Senate race in particular is one that people across the country are watching in the state of Ohio. Uh, on the Republican side, a lot of uh, political observers are saying this is a uh, litmus test of Donald Trump's influence, lasting influence within the party. Uh, J.D. Vance uh, a couple of weeks ago got Donald Trump's endorsement. He had been lagging behind some of his opponents in the Republican race uh, to replace uh, uh, Senator Rob Portman uh, in that uh, in that primary. And uh, so a lot of people are saying, well, let's see if J.D. Vance comes from way behind with a Trump endorsement to win. That will certainly signal that uh, Donald Trump still uh, holds a great deal of influence in the party. If not, maybe his uh, grip on the Republican Party is not quite as tight as what uh, as what we had believed. So it'd be interesting to see how this uh, all plays out. And a lot of folks, not just in Ohio, but around the country, watching the Republican Ohio Senate race, uh, which will be decided today. So get to the polls and vote. Uh, let's see. A couple of other uh, interesting items here among the first things that you need to know this morning. The city of Shawnee, Kansas. This is very interesting. The city of Shawnee, Kansas has voted to ban any group of unrelated roommates living together in a single family residential zoning district. The ban, the ban was unanimously passed by city council last week. The ordinance says any group of people uh, is unlawfully cohabitating in these zones if the home includes at least four adults who are unrelated. Only one adult needs to be unrelated for the entire group to be classified as unrelated. So if uh, so if you're married, so two married couples are, are sharing a house, what is deemed to be a single family residence, it's illegal. If for uh, roommates, I don't know if there's a, uh, I don't know if there's a university in uh, Shawnee, Kansas. There is, isn't there? Isn't there? Uh, is that the uh, University of Kansas in uh, Shawnee? Anyway, um, if there are uh, roommates, uh, just friends, sharing uh, rent uh, in a four-bedroom home that is classified as single-family, that would be illegal. They can't do that. Uh, a memorandum of the ordinance said they had been getting concerns from residents about a relatively new trend where single-family homes are being purchased and converted into rental units with multiple individual tenants. Individu individual tenants have leases of varying lengths, have separate secured accesses to their rooms, and often do not know or have relationships with the others who are also occupying the same single-family dwelling. The memo said that it is, quote, not typical of common rental uses in single-family districts that are occupied by family units. Uh, now, worth noting that uh, data shows home prices in Johnson County, where Shawnee is located, were up 37% from 2017 to 2021, 
and that uh, rent uh, rents have gone up uh, in a corresponding manner. And so that's probably driving this. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's uh, if anybody fights this, uh, particularly the uh, the landlords of such uh, rental arrangements. So uh, worth paying attention there, especially in university towns, uh, University of Finley, and places where uh, houses are uh, rented by multiple uh, tenants, multiple students and that kind of thing. Um, you remember back during the Olympics, the uh, big brouhaha over the skating competition, the figure skating competition, um, where, oh, what a mess it was, where they won, uh, what is it, 15 year old, uh, 15 year old Russian Camilla Valieva had a, a drug test from two months earlier, come back positive for a banned substance. She was allowed to compete, but, uh, she, crumbled under the pressure uh scale uh, uh fell several times during her free skate and uh she had been the gold medal favorite but crashed out and uh under the uh, pressure and then uh after falling multiple times she could be seen being berated by her coach afterward and uh she ended up in fourth place and meanwhile the uh other skaters were upset to the way they uh ended up and uh, it was just a whole mess. Very bad look for the Olympics, for the uh, Russian uh, Skating Federation and, and all of that. But the Olympics especially took some hits. And there were talks, should uh, youngsters, children really, that young be allowed to compete in the Olympics? Well, figure skating's global governing body has proposed a new rule now that would increase the minimum age for major international competitions including but not necessarily limited to the Olympics, the new age, minimum age, would be 17. Uh, in a move that comes after the controversy that surrounded women's figure skating at the Beijing Olympics in February, under the current rules, skaters have to be 15 years old to compete, but we saw what happened earlier this year when 15-year-olds compete. So under the International Skating Union, will vote on the proposal when it meets next month. So... Pay attention. That uh, may, and they recognize that there's just too much pressure on uh, on kids of that age. So I think that's a good move. I think that is a, a good move. We'll see if it uh, ends up getting better. Now that being said, a lot of American athletes that have competed uh, at or just above that age. So uh, it does. It, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, that vote if that vote passes but that's a follow-up to something that made a lot of headlines earlier this year um oh i saw this pretty interesting stuff a two and a half minute clip showing what appears to be a 30 foot sea monster has reignited rumors surrounding loch ness couple in their 50s filmed the sighting while on vacation in the loch ness area the husband and wife claim the creature had a limb that moved like a car beneath the surface. Or, no, I'm sorry, moved like an oar. <laughs> reading that wrong. Moved like an oar underneath the surface. This is the fourth reported sighting of the monster this year, according to the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register. I, I This is a true story. Yesterday, uh, I was looking out across Lake Cascades at our studios here, and I, I caught out of the corner of my eye what I thought was maybe the Lake Cascades monster. 
I it was a, a really thing with a uh, off in the distance uh, creature with a long neck floating across the surface. I thought, have we got a is this the Loch Ness monster Lake Cascades edition? And I looked out and I looked a little closer. It turns out it was just a goose. Maybe it was that. That's what it's been all this while. I'm in Loch Ness too. I don't know, but I was thinking, man, we could market that. That could be a money maker for us if we had a Lake Cascades monster. And then, but it was just a goose. <clears throat> and here is perhaps the most important story, the most important thing you will need to know this morning. Number one story that you will hear today: Ortega is offering one lucky person free tacos for a year. Yes, that's right. You heard correctly. Free tacos for an entire year. You can enter their online sweepstakes through this week. May 6th is the deadline to register at Ortega.com slash sweepstakes. The winner will receive 52 coupons for Ortega brand taco shells, and a $1,000 gift card to use for a year to buy taco fillings and toppings. The winner to be notified next week. Now you know. You're welcome. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers are likely today with a few storms, a high of 70. Showers continue tonight, a low of 50. Fire investigators are looking into the cause of the blaze that severely damaged a house on South Main Street in Finley. We spoke with Fire Chief Josh Everly about the fire at 824 South Main that occurred Sunday night. One of the crews that made the second floor said the heat was, was so bad they, they couldn't remain up there very long, so they had to pull out. And what really what that tells us is that there was a significant amount of fire um, probably above them in the attic. The chief says the house sustained extensive fire, smoke, and water damage, and the roof collapsed. The house was not being lived in at the time, and nobody was injured. See video of the fire on the website. Court proceedings related to the hazing death of a BGSU student are continuing. Five men have pleaded guilty in the death of Stone Foltz, but the other three still say they are not guilty. Jacob Crin, Dalen Dunson, and Troy Henriksen appeared in court. None of them changed their pleas. Eight total men were charged with Foltz's death after alcohol hazing led to his death at Bowling Green State University. Owen and Yolanda Harris. Republicans running for U.S. Senate in Ohio are setting records for money spent on political ads. Collectively, the seven GOP candidates have spent around $64 million. Columbus ad tracking firm Medium says the money went to television, cable, and radio advertising. On the Democratic side, we do know Morgan Harper, T.J. Johnson, and Congressman Tim Ryan are all running for that same position. Owen's Angela Ann. Today is primary day in Ohio, and that U.S. Senate race is among the items on the ballot. This is Teacher Appreciation Week, and Finley Mayor Christina Mern issued a proclamation saluting our local teachers. To all the educators who spend tireless hours preparing, teaching, and caring for the students of Finley and Hancock County, we want to say thank you. And the mayor is asking all members of the community to join her in personally expressing their appreciation for our teachers for their dedication and devotion to their work. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
So if you happen to be downtown this afternoon or anywhere along Main Street, really, from the south end of town all the way up to the Owens Community College campus, you are in for quite a sight. The wall that heals a three-quarter scale replica of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. will be coming through on its way to Owens for a public display later this week and through the weekend that will include not only the wall itself, but also a collection of memorial items left at the wall over the years by friends and loved ones and profiles of many of the service members whose names are on the wall. Garner Trucking is transporting the wall on its journey, and Sherry Garner Brumbaugh is on the line with us. Sherry, you have a long history of supporting uh, events like this, things like this. How did you get involved in this particular uh, event? Well, certainly have a passion for our veterans in our community and across this country and the sacrifices they've made. We've been part of the Wreath Across America effort. Uh, Community certainly familiar with that. Uh, But uh, it's uh, one of those trucking industry events that they're they're always looking for volunteers, companies Mm -hmm. to relocate that wall across the country this particular lake in the state of Delaware, and then coming through uh, to Finley. I would imagine that, you know, when you uh, hear that, it, you know, it's coming to Finley and uh, need somebody to transport, this kind of a no-brainer for you. Right. We, uh, it was uh, scheduled to be in Finley a couple years ago, and with the pandemic that was put on hold, and right. so it came back to Finley, and we we uh, said we can do that. And you're transporting it the entire way, right? From, yes, Newcastle, Delaware uh, to Finley. It's going to uh, start back at uh, the Harley-Davidson Route 30 and make an entourage of local bikers and supporters. It's going to escort it uh, from there, from Route 30, Harley-Davidson, to Owens Community College. And so you come in on the on the south end of town and just uh, straight up through Main Street. So, you know, when folks mm-hmm. hear all of this commotion, this is what's going on. What is the kind of the timeline that people should expect all of this to go down? Right. It, so military time, it leaves uh, Upper Sandusky at 1600. Okay. Uh, wheels up, going to be escorted by... Uh, the AMVETS uh, biker group uh, and volunteer, you know, bikers across Northwest Ohio are going. Uh, motorcyclist enthusiasts uh, going to be part of that too. So I would say I'd be ready. 1630 to shortly after that. All right, very good. And uh, it says here in my notes that the uh, motorcycle escort will be weather permitting, but uh, given the nature of uh, this particular event, I would think that the weather would have to be pretty nasty for them not to permit (laughs) to to be uh, escorting this uh, through. Big schedule throughout the weekend for the wall. It takes a bit to, quite a bit of volunteers to get it uh, set up and for. Uh, yeah. our community to see see, it, the, see the wall. It is uh, truly going to be a, a special event, and uh, again, Garner Trucking, a very important part of it in getting it here, and Sherry Garner Brumball with us uh, this morning uh, with the uh, details of the procession through town later on this afternoon. Uh, Sherry, thanks very much for the info. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And now we get to our cover story this morning. Today is primary day in Ohio, but as we know, it will only be the first of two because of the soap opera that the redistricting process has become. Voters are going to have to go back to the polls in August to finish up the races 
that they won't be able to decide today. Among those whose name will not be appearing on ballots today is State Representative John Cross, who joins us on the line this morning. And I know that you have been very frustrated by this whole process. We have talked about it uh, on a couple of different occasions. Uh, So without rehashing all of that, I want to ask you the question that I asked the Secretary of State last week. Are you at all concerned that confusion about who and what people are voting for and when will negatively affect turnout for one, the other, or both of these primaries because uh, turnout is always a challenge even without these kinds of headwinds. Yeah, good morning, Chris, and happy Election Day. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm actually not. I, the most important thing that I want people to realize today is it is primary Election Day. Go vote. Tuesday, May 3rd, let your voices be heard. Uh, You will not be confused when you go to the ballot. There'll be a list of candidates awaiting your arrival to choose who's going to lead the state, the county, and local races. And then you get to do it again for those that love to vote on on <laughs> on probably and probably August. Uh, I hate to say a date because I don't want to yeah, say Taylor's official date. Yeah, it's not been finalized summer, late, yet. Yeah, right. Late summer, you get to go vote for the Ohio House and Ohio Senate races, our state central committee races. It it, it does it does you know yes the turnout probably in the summer is going to be awful. Um, it's not ideal. And quite frankly, you know, I'm more frustrated, Chris, I'm more frustrated. It's going to cost taxpayers millions of dollars to well, put on another primary. And that uh, we, we spoke last week, as we mentioned to uh, secretary of state LaRose about the burden that this places on local boards of election, in particular, the manpower required to work the polls and to count the votes. This can be difficult to do once. Yeah. And now they have to do it twice. And he talked yeah. about giving additional financial assistance to those local County election boards to help defray the added cost. That is, is something that I would assume would have to be done legislatively. Is that something yeah. that you can support? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I certainly don't want to get in the way of not having uh, your your First Amendment uh, rights uh, to express your opinions and and obviously your right to vote uh, be blocked. And so I, I, I'll support any major to make sure that we can have an election uh, in August. But but let me say this. Let me let me thank all the poll workers. I mean. Let's appreciate Election Day. Let's appreciate all of our, our volunteers and everybody who gets up super early to make sure that you, when you walk in and cast your vote, that you can do so uh, appropriately and, and, confident, and confidentially and, and be confident in the election system here in Ohio. So I appreciate everyone who's volunteered to work the polls today because that's important, too. You can't have a good election if you don't have good right. people, good citizens to make that happen. So a combination of that plus some money will get another election done. I think I think people are kind of relieved, though, to see that there's uh, there's there's an end to this. Uh, we're going to have some maps. It the does. way it looks, right, Chris, the way it looks is if we have uh, no additional maps uh, approved, the, the federal court says you'll use map three. So let's tell the listeners what map three is. Map three is all of Hancock County, all of Hardin County, and the northern seven townships of Logan County. So the 83rd District still remains the 83rd District, except I'll pick up more of Logan County and, and all of Indian Lake. So it's a mm-hmm. great, it's a beautiful district. Uh, Hancock County and Hardin County have been together forever. And, uh, and so it's great to see us 
stay connected, and uh, it's a great honor to serve the district. And so yeah. we're looking forward to getting through that. Yeah, it, it, as you mentioned, it does appear that there is a light at the end of the tunnel of this whole saga. Uh, sure. Getting back to the uh, vote today and the fact yeah. that this is a split primary, uh, despite, and we talked about the, the added costs, despite that, the Secretary of State last week insisted that this was the right decision to hold a split primary as opposed to rescheduling it altogether, as some has ha- had suggested. Do you agree with that assessment? Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's kind of the, the late hour to debate that. I would have liked to have one primary and been done uh, uh, and saved us $20 million. But we, we, we were kind of boxed in the corner by the courts. And uh, and couldn't get there, so here we are. Yeah. Speaking of costs, this I, I would imagine has cost candidates such as yourself dragging this out for several additional weeks and making it difficult to know where you need to campaign. Uh, what about the added cost to campaigns such as yours? Well, sure, it's going to add costs, and it's going to be more fundraising and all that all that good stuff. But you know, that's that's part of that's part of campaigning you know i think the beauty about what we do is every two years we have to run and people say john are you tired of running for every two years i know I, I, I don't because i think it's just it's it's we're always interviewing for the job you see campaigns are about uh putting candidates through the interview process and just like chris you and i would interview for a normal job our interview might last an hour ours happens to last a year <laughs> so so you know to extend it out three more months, sure, you know, but, but again, we're not probably spending a lot of money right now that we would traditionally have spent. Mm-hmm. We just we just shift the marketing, you know, and, and hey, just remember, too, and I, people don't think about this, but campaigns also help the local economy. I mean, we're, we're buying advertising for the radio station. We're buying sure. advertising for newspapers. Right. I mean, it all helps, helps your business, helps everybody out. We get the word out. Uh, I, I like to think that that complements everything that we do here. When it comes, particularly when it comes to local races, you know, uh, we're buying we're buying more well, pieces and, and doing all kinds of fun stuff to get people excited about both. I I suppose you could also make the argument that uh, when it comes to your races, uh, they will no longer be crowded out by, say, the uh, Senate primary and uh, some of the other uh, things that uh, create noise uh, surrounding the campaign. You'll be able to focus on on your campaign without a whole lot of that uh, extra distraction for voters. Yeah, it's two way street. I mean, certainly we love a good we love a good. You know, love a good dogfight and a campaign somewhere to draw voters out. And if we don't have a good dogfight to draw voters out, uh, that, that sometimes is having yeah. the the fun, the fun of a uh, running in a presidential campaign, right? I mean, it's it's certainly people are are fired up and excited mm. and passionate. So the the downside to not having that or not being on a presidential year is you lose some of that excitement and energy. But again. You know, all the candidates are going to have to go do what they need to do to drum up that support and get their voters out. I uh, I do want to ask you about this, and and this is more of a big picture question uh, rather than the specifics regarding the split primary. All of this, uh, of course, comes on the heels of the presidential primary in 2020 that was upended by the pandemic, and at a time when the voting process in general is under heightened scrutiny. You were certainly among the harshest critics of the way the decision was made two years ago to postpone the primary and how that all went down do you sure. worry at all that 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 people may start to question the integrity of the process that here again the normal rules don't apply the state is just making it up as they go along 
No, you know, I, I really, I mean, I think to, for the listeners to understand when I, when I, uh, I, I accept the term harsh critic because I don't want to mess with our constitution. Right. When we start messing with our constitution, we start, you know, making, uh, quick, uh, decisions um and changing things that's when i i get very vocal because i think we have a process that's very important Uh, i I think our election process here in ohio is uh, i'm very confident in it most people don't realize that you know when you when you go cast your vote on these electric machines there's also a printed ballot that goes with that Mm -hmm. machine so some people say oh john we need to go back to paper ballots well when I cast my vote in early voting, I always watch the slip of paper and what gets printed out on it. So I kind of do my own self-auditing on that. So I have trust and faith. And guess what? Tonight we're going to know election results. And Ohio's going to get it done. We know how to do that. But what I don't want to do is is be in this inconsistency. Uh, inconsistency of election days is what drives low turnout and, and people not feeling comfortable or confident and voting. And so when we go against our constitution and rub up against uh, issues, um, you know, we need consistency on our election days. And I think that's what's important. We will leave it there. Again, election day number one uh, today, State Representative John Cross, who is not on the ballot today, but will be uh, in, in August when uh, we finally uh, wrap this up uh, with us on the line this morning. Mr. Cross, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, everybody. Well, it has been widely reported that mental health is a growing crisis in the U.S. We were talking a little bit about that just yesterday on the program, but for those being uh, for those in treatment for their condition, there are sometimes additional challenges when it comes to some medications. Uh, this is Tardive Dyskinesia Awareness Week, and joining us is Dr. Rakesh Jan, clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Texas Tech University School of Medicine, and Dr. Jan, TD, basically the side effect of involuntary movements in parts of the body as a result of certain mental health medicines. Is that right? Is that the kind of the long and short of it? That's really well said, Chris. That's really well said. TD is indeed associated with the use of certain medications like antipsychotics for very common conditions that we human beings suffer from, like depression and bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. You nailed it. And and in the larger scheme of things, it may seem like only a minor trade-off, but it can still be quite disruptive to one's quality of life. Oh my gosh, Chris, I have seen such devastation caused by tardive dyskinesia that words will not suffice the challenges. They can be very profound. Now, it certainly occurs on a range. Uh, But may I just kind of quickly set the stage by reminding all of us that about 600,000 of us, 600,000, that's a huge number of us Americans have tardive dyskinesia and only about 25%. So one out of four has been diagnosed. Three out of four are out there just suffering with it. And with this condition, it's not just that the muscles, these voluntary muscles of the face or the tongue or the hands or the toes or the feet or the ankles are misbehaving and working excessively. It's the suffering, chewing, swallowing, talking, cooking, the social embarrassment, the increased depression, the increased anxiety. These are all casualties 
of this disorder. It's interesting. You mentioned, obviously, the physical issues, but I would imagine, as, as you were alluding to, uh, that that stigma to go along with this, mental health issues are stigmatized already in many respects, and I'm guessing uh, many patients feel even more so as a result of TD. I mean, I'm getting treated for my problem, and here now is something else to make me feel and look different than everybody else. You got it. It becomes like double trouble. Yeah. It's hard enough to acknowledge and to get your psychiatric condition, which you try to hide. It doesn't, in many cases, you know, the world can't see it. But tardive dyskinesia, especially in someone who has an underlying psychiatric condition, is now a physical manifestation of, quote unquote, I'm not okay. Mm. I'm different. Yeah. And you said it entirely accurately. The lives of people who have a psychiatric condition and have tardive dyskinesia can be so problematic. And now you know why I'm so glad Neuroclean Biosciences offered the sponsorship so that we can actually have this conversation to shed the spotlight on the lives of people with tardive dyskinesia. Because the concern and and the reason we have a TD Awareness Week uh, is because, as you were alluding to earlier, many patients have resigned themselves to just having to live with it, and that's not necessarily the case. It is not at all necessarily the case. You are right. Let me underline what you just said. Let me bold what you said. It is not at all necessary. We live under the plight and the weight of tardive dyskinesia. And may I then, as a result, recommend to everyone to go visit this amazingly wonderful educational website called talkabouttd.com. Because it says all the things you've been talking about, Chris that this is common, it is impairing, this is how you identify it, this is how you talk to your healthcare provider, and please know that there are treatment options that we can use in order to reduce the suffering of such patients. The symptoms can be controlled. So, again, this is something you were touching on earlier. How prevalent is this issue, and are there different intensity levels, as it were? Yeah, the intensity levels, like anything in life, can vary all the way from mild, so the mild can be very impairing, Mm -hmm. to moderate degree of severity, to people I have seen who are literally becoming dysfunctional because of tardive dyskinesia. So the severity can, can fluctuate a great deal amongst patients. But you know, one thing's for sure, when TD arrives, it's a very big negative event in a person's life. And they need our sympathy. They need our understanding. And they need our support. And that's well, why I talk about TD.com. It's such a great place to get the ball rolling for them. Yeah. Uh, and again, just to bottom line it here, first of all, what is the message you want to send for patients? Here's the message. You're not alone. We see you. We understand you. But help us, please. Help us by getting yourself more educated about TD. And perhaps a good way to do that is to start with talkabouttd.com. If you see something, dear patient, say something. And if you're the family member of someone who has TD, please say something to the patient or to the healthcare provider. Please do not let them suffer in silence. It is not necessary. Check out the information on talkabouttd.com and the next several steps that they will take, hopefully, and almost certainly will get them to a better place in life. And lastly, there is also a message here for the rest of us as well. Again, going back to that question of breaking the stigma. 
Yes. Making sure we understand that talking about real issues leads to real solutions. So if, if there is a mental health challenge or if there is tardive dyskinesia, stigma is so yesterday. That's one way to approach it. We must yeah. fight stigma in every corner. We find it so that we can assure the world that these patients are seen and their needs are addressed. Again, Tardive Dyskinesia Awareness Week. We are joined by Dr. Rakesh John, clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry, Texas Tech University School of Medicine. One more time, mention that website where folks can get more information. TalkAboutTD.com Dr. John, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. I appreciate you so much, too. Thank you. So as you probably know, each year the Hancock Leadership Class uh, gets together and does a uh, community service project and improvement project. Over the years, there have been a number of uh, projects, really innovative uh, projects that have benefited the entire community. This is the latest, the Hancock Leadership Class of 2022, partnering with the Hancock County Cultural Humility and Health Equity Delegation to spread the message that you belong in Hancock County. Uh, Chloe Crowther and uh, Kirby Overton with us uh, this morning uh, to talk more about this uh, project. So, uh, first of all, uh, partnering with the Hancock County Cultural Humility and Health Equity Delegation. That is a mouthful, and I was not even aware that there was a Hancock County Cultural Humility and Health Equity Delegation. So explain what that is. Of course. Uh, well, first of all, now you are aware of now it. Now we are aware. Um, yeah. We call it the delegation for short, and it's a group of a lot of leaders in the business community that have seen kind of these issues of inequality and not belonging, frankly, mm -hmm. and got together and decided to do something about it. So they have worked with um, an outside consultant group to do focus groups and uh, kind of find out what are our strengths and weaknesses in our community when it relates to belonging. And from there, uh, they kind of had this idea that they brought to the Hancock leadership class that one of the most helpful things would be to share stories of belonging uh, from all members of our community. So that's what we're doing. That's what I was going to say. How then did the uh, Hancock leadership class uh, become a part of this and, you know, explain what this project is, is all about and how you uh, aim to do that and send that message. So with, there's a proposal pro, proposal process that comes along with us selecting which project we want to take on. Mm -hmm. So the Hancock leadership is through the chamber. Mm -hmm. And the chamber puts out a, um, a call for proposals. So any uh, community organization that is interested in having the Hancock leadership class take on their project or carry out their project, they'll submit this proposal present it to the Hancock leadership class. And then as a class, we vote on the project that we'd like to select. So Zach Thomas, that chairs the delegation, presented this project to us. And I think to our class, as the majority of our class, it was kind of a no-brainer that this is something that we should take on. Because really resonated it, with you? Yeah, there's a lot of relevance with current issues um, today and, you know, a lot of the social unrest that we've seen within the past several years. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's long-standing history <laughs> with all of that, but it's kind of resurfaced with the past several years. So right. we're seeing you know, among along Hancock County or, you know, throughout Hancock County and surrounding areas, these 
calls to action for um, inclusion and ensuring that people feel like they do belong within the community or within their workspaces or wherever it may be. So when when Zach presented this to us, our class voted on on this project and, and to take this on. So how do you hope then to help spread this message? Uh, give us kind of the overview of what this project will entail. Sure. So what it's kind of... Um, turned into more concretely is a collection of videos. Uh, we've been collecting videos over the past few months. We have about 40 from all different parts of our community. Um, we hope that this is going to be kind of, I call it a living repository of, of these stories that will be accessible to all at any time um, and spread the word about, you know, you can share your story, you can listen to stories that are different than yours. Um, so really the video part of, of this is what has uh, taken concrete form. Um, we are premiering a compilation of these videos that we have gotten at uh, Art Walk on Friday, May 6th, okay. this Friday. And where will that be? It'll be downtown Finley uh, at Bricks and the Millstream Art Plaza. Okay. Um, what has been the reception of those that you have talked to uh, to get these stories and to, and to share their stories? So for the most part, people have been very willing and open to share their stories. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, there's going to be some reservations with, will there be any backlash? Yeah, or I'm wondering. Anything? Yeah, I, I, that yeah. was I actually kind of in my mind as I'm hearing you talk about this. I, you know, it's, it sounds like a wonderful project. I wonder if there's uh, any underlying cynicism there. Um. Maybe underlying, but not overtly, at least not to us at this point yet. Mm -hmm. So we, everybody has been very open to, to discussing. There have been people who have... Maybe a little said, hesitant yeah, at who first. Who have yeah. said that they did not, you know, they weren't comfortable with yeah. doing a video, but would share a written story or something maybe more anonymously. Um, but everybody who we have approached has been very supportive and has said that this project is very necessary. Interesting that there have been some who have uh, wanted to kind of remain incognito, anonymous uh, uh, with this, which maybe speaks to the need for a, a project like this. Absolutely. And I think Phrasing it as belonging as a opposed to diversity or in increasing diversity or mm -hmm. anything like that. We're looking for stories from anyone, and we mean that. Uh, it doesn't. You don't have to be from a marginalized community at all. We want to hear from people that have lived here their whole lives as well. Uh, so I, I can imagine uh, this really will, like you said, be a living repository of kind of a cross section of uh, of the community. Maybe introducing some folks to a segment of the population that they didn't, didn't, weren't aware of, weren't comfortable with, weren't uh, very knowledgeable about in the past. That's what we hope. Yeah. Um, and, and this project, uh, as you said, you're going to debut it then during Art Walk, which is uh, coming up this Friday. Um, but I'm guessing it doesn't end there. Absolutely not. So you'll be hearing more about it on uh, social media and through various organizations. We've partnered with some organizations already. You can see some information about it at the library, for example. Um, so yes, we are continuing this work with the delegation into the future. It will be interesting to learn what the what the dialogue com is that comes out of this uh, as well, because we talk about those who are sharing the stories, and then beginning on Friday, then I guess the rest of the community will have a chance to sort of weigh in with their thoughts uh, and ideas. And we welcome that. And and that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And the hope is that you know, to your point, that people are seeing these these unique lived experiences and these unique stories, and the conversation continues about oh, I didn't, I wasn't aware that that went on in our community, mm -hmm. or um, 
you know, and just under having a better understanding of of your neighbor and how to make other people feel more of a sense of belonging within mm. the community. It sounds almost uh, Pollyannish or, or Mr. Rogers-ish uh, <laughs> that at the end of the day, what you learn from the stories, and I would imagine you've uh, seen this as you've gathered the stories and put these together, is that at the end of the day, everyone wants the same thing. We all have the same hopes and dreams and, and that kind of thing, you know, regardless of background or uh, all of that. Absolutely. Yep, and just understanding that just because this person feels like they belong doesn't mean that that harms your position in society or in within mm. Hancock County. Yeah. It's not um, it's not counterproductive. It's not mutually exclusive. Yeah. So. so as we mentioned, the the debut, as you said, is is Friday, and this is an ongoing project. Then where will this be available moving forward? So right now it's available at youbelonghc.com, and and it will be continue to be available. Or dot org. Dot I'm org. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it will continue to be available there, um, and then you'll will, you'll see it on social media and things like that as well. Really fascinating uh, project that hopefully will uh, start to dialogue at least at the very minimum, uh, get people thinking uh, with regard to the uh, community as a whole. You belong in Hancock County. The uh, theme, uh, the Hancock Leadership Class of 2022, partnering with the Hancock County Cultural Humility and Health Equity Delegation on this year's project. We need a link for more information at our webpage. You can go to goodmornings.net. And again, Kirby Overton, Chloe Crowther with us uh, this morning. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. So it is only Tuesday, and already we have a candidate for the dumb criminal of the week. Houston police say that they definitely attracted a few... Uh, Dim bulbs, shall we say, when laying out uh, a bait card cracked down on car thefts. So here's the uh, here's the story. Houston police uh, said two two suspects that well <laughs> they they put a a bait car uh, out. Uh, I guess in was it the side of the highway or was it in a parking lot? I'm not sure exactly uh, where they did. They put a bait car. They put plant this car. Because they knew there have been thieves, car thieves in the area. They want to catch them. So they bait them with this uh, with this abandoned car. <laughs> and police uh, reveal that two suspects decided not just to steal uh, the uh, the car. They used a fake wrecker to do it. Uh, police say they came up upon a man and a woman just as they were hooking up the car to their tow truck. And authorities found that not only were they... <laughs> Were they stealing the car, but the wrecker was not registered or valid <laughs> and found the duo had been using this method to steal cars, uh, many several cars uh, in the area. Of course, the suspects were arrested and remain in custody. Meanwhile, the police might just have a, a brand new record to play with because they confiscated the <laughs> record. It was not registered, it was not legal uh, record. So not only the car thefts, but they have a... Uh, <clears throat> Another charge of uh, Im- illegal wrecker possession. <laughs> All kinds of trouble on that one uh, there. Anyway, I just thought that was kind uh, <laughs> of funny. Oh, by the way, do you have a license for this record? Well, uh, no. It was, uh, um. I tell you what, in uh, Florida, this is kind of an interesting story. In Florida, if you ever visit, uh, bear in mind that they take. 
uh, feeding the pelicans very, very serious. Uh, it is illegal to do so in Florida. Feeding pelicans can't do it. And they take this very seriously. An unsuspecting tourist from Georgia found that out firsthand uh, when he uh, was caught and landed in jail after treating some of the birds to a snack. The Miami Herald reports that Dominic Saletti Jr., age 57, of Alpharetta, Georgia, was uh, visiting in Key West and had caught a fish who was filleting it when he decided to feed a few scraps to the birds who had gathered, you know, because he was filleting a fish. And they were like, hey, we'd like some fish. So he taught him, tossed him a few scraps in plain sight of wildlife officials. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission uh, told reporters that when the officials attempted to give Mr. Saletti a notice to appear citation, things quickly spiraled. He said, I'm not coming back here to go to court. That's BS. Only he didn't use the words BS. He, you know. Uh, apparently, uh, Florida also made it a misdemeanor to refuse a citation. So, so the irate tourist not only is facing a charge of illegally feeding the pelicans, but also he has a misdemeanor charge of, of not uh, of refusing to accept the citation. So he was led away in handcuffs and taken to the county jail. He later posted bond and is due back in court on May 11th. So he is coming back BS or not. Uh, Florida reminds those who may be tempted to feed the persistent birds that feeding pelicans can lead to serious harm. Uh, fish bones can apparently uh, puncture a pelican's throat or get stuck in its pouch, and that can sometimes be fatal to a pelican. So there's a reason why it is illegal to feed the pelicans. Don't do that. You get in big trouble. It's not BS at all, as it turns out. <laughs> Speaking of animals, this is a crazy story. Uh, some honeybees, a colony of honeybees that was headed to Alaska from California were rerouted and died as a result. About 5 million bees from Sacramento were scheduled to fly on a Delta Airlines uh, flight from Anchorage uh, or from uh, Sacramento to Anchorage, Alaska. But instead, they were put on a flight to Atlanta because the shipment didn't fit on the plane. Once in Atlanta, they missed their connecting flight then to Alaska and their crates were put outside where most of the bees died from heat and starvation. Oh, my goodness. You know how you know bees have been, there have been concerns about uh, bee colonies dying off and so on. Here's uh, one beekeeper in Atlanta was able to save the bees that were still alive. Delta has apologized, and the Alaskan beekeeper said her supplier in California has agreed to replace the 48 thousand dollar shipment wow <clears throat> big oops there on the part of delta airlines i have a feeling they're gonna have to pony up the cost of uh, of that for their mistake elsewhere in the uh, broken news police say a connecticut man torched a car because he didn't like the owner's religion well that's that's a reasonable thing to do. You don't like the person's religion, so I'm going to torch your car. 22-year-old Samuel Van Dusen allegedly confessed to setting the vehicle on fire. Mr. Van Dusen reportedly told police he didn't agree with the victim's ideologies, including his Mormon faith. 
Oh, well, I completely understand then. He's charged with criminal mischief, breach of the peace, third degree arson, and deprivation of rights. He's being held on a quarter million dollar bond. And finally, in the broken news today, check out this story. Uh, a 70-year-old man is in trouble with the, the law for shooting uh, a person he thought was a shoplifter at a local grocery store in Gig Harbor, Washington. Patrick Lathrop confronted the 40-year-old victim and accused him of shoplifting. Witnesses say Mr. Lathrop uh, blocked the exit with his grocery cart and his body, but it is unknown what motivated the guy to play hero. Uh, or in this case, as it turns out, he was the bad guy. The two briefly fought before Mr. Lathrop took out his gun and fired it at the victim. One bullet grazed the victim's neck, uh, although his injuries were non-life-threatening. Mr. Lathrop then told detectives after he shot the victim, his firearm malfunctioned. He quickly fixed it and fired a test round, a second test round, which appeared to strike the glass door of the grocery store. So not the best, not the best, uh, uh, the smartest guy with a gun. Uh, Mr. Lathrop has been charged with assault in the first degree, was booked into the Pierce County Jail. Meanwhile, police confirmed with store employees that the, the victim and his wife did not steal anything in the first place, nor were they suspected of stealing. So why he thought they did, I have no idea, but... The store employees are saying, no, you wasn't the shoplifter. We had no idea. <laughs> Oddly enough, Mr. Lathrop has been involved in a similar incident before. Last year, he shot a man in the chest whom he suspected was trying to break into some parked vehicles. <laughs> He's got a history of this. That's crazy. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. At least the uh, guy who's uh, shot or they tried to shoot is uh, just grazed and he's going to be okay. But man, <sighs> keep your receipt, I guess, is the uh, moral of that story. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard has led to a lot of firsts for me. It paid for me to be the first person in my family to go to school. That education got me to the first day at my dream job, which I can still hold while I serve part-time. That job and the home loan benefits I got from the Army National Guard helped me buy my first house. I also know that I will be one of the first to respond if my community ever needs me. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. Time for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, and the statistics that shape our lives. It appears that more Americans are borrowing money from friends and family members than were a year ago. This is according to the new Household Pulse survey from the Census Bureau. And uh, they say that 25.6 million people, which is a little more than 10% of U.S. adults, had to rely on friends and families for uh, family members for financial support. Uh, 25.6 million people had to rely on friends and family for financial support. That is up from 19.1 million a year ago. You can blame inflation. You can blame whatever. I would imagine inflation probably gets most of the blame for this. Things just cost more now. Cost more for 
everything that you need, uh, not just you know discretionary spending, but uh, food and gas and things like that. Break it down by age group, 14% of millennials said that they borrowed money from their family family member and friend. <laughs> I'm having trouble talking this morning. 14% of millennials said they borrowed money from their family members and friends. That's up 3% from April of 2021. 11% of Gen Xers said they borrowed money from their family and friends, as did 8% of baby boomers. Uh, Looking at ethnicity, and you break it down that way, 17% of African-American respondents said that they have borrowed money from family members and friends. That is up 6% from this time last year. And among Hispanic respondents, 15% have borrowed money from family and friends, as have 7% of those who uh, were white and uh, 7% of those who were Asian. So you break it down uh, that way. Kind of interesting that a significant number of Americans having to borrow money from friends and family, just to survive, just to, you know, the basic necessities these days. Uh, More than 10% of U.S. adults. That's pretty alarming when you think about it. Data from the Census Bureau's new Household Pulse Survey. Coming up on our first post-pandemic Mother's Day, and it appears we are ready to go all out for moms that we probably haven't seen as much of as we'd like over the last couple of years. Beauty and lifestyle expert Allie Fister is here with a few gifting ideas to help melt mom's heart this Mother's Day. And Allie, obviously you do those, you do the online searches, the online suggestions, and a lot of the normal stuff will come up. Uh, Flowers, jewelry, sweets. How do we get a little more creative than that? Not that there's anything wrong with any of that, but we want to get a little more creative. You know, absolutely. And it's important to think about the things that are going to help mom feel her best, look her best, feel pampered. Um, something that I think is really wonderful for mom for mother's day to help her feel pampered is the gift of beauty. Um, Suwasu is a Korean skincare brand really known for their high performance. And they have taken a lot of the guesswork uh, out of how to create the perfect Mother's Day beauty gift with their can- their curated gift boxes. Um, they have three of them this year. And the, the first one is their Best Sellers Trial Kit. Um, this includes, just as the name implies, all of their best sellers, including their number one selling First Care Activating Serum, which really helps just boost anything that she puts on top of it. Um, this brand is going to really help mom achieve that silky, soft skin, some wonderful anti-aging benefits, um, gift boxes that help to clear impurities, amplify hydration, just really make mom feel pampered. And now I know we're on the radio together, so you guys can't see, but they also come in beautiful gift boxes. So it takes out that work on your end as well as helps mom have a, a really great unboxing moment. That's terrific stuff. Uh, along those same lines, uh, as beauty, health, and well-being have become obviously a priority over the past couple of years, a lot of emphasis on that, and you say we can use that to kind of springboard into a great Mother's Day gift. Yeah. You know, achieving balance, I think, is something that we've all really been craving, and um, there is this brand, it's called The Good Patch, 
And they have wearable wellness patches with plant-powered ingredients that just really help with life's everyday struggles. So you might be wondering, Allie, what is a plant-powered wearable wellness patch? Well, inside these really beautiful colored um, packets come these four almost kind of like a sticker that you peel and you stick this off any venous area. So like the back of your wrist is a example. And they have time-released ingredients. So ingredients that can help you dream, relax, have a little bit of extra energy with the Mm. B12. So the different, um, you know, they have different patches for different things that might ail you. So go to Ulta Target CVS to check out the good patch for a plant-powered wearable wellness patch for mom. I know a lot of uh, moms that would like that. Uh, one of the uh, big fashion trends, and this also uh, goes to a, a lot of uh, folks this time of year, especially are thinking about getting in shape. Uh, athleisure is the b- big buzzword in the fashion industry. And again, here you have uh, that using that as an inspiration for Mother's Day. Athleisure is, like you said, that trend that just is staying with us because you can feel comfortable and stylish all in one beat. Um, the really the leader in the athleisure space is a brand called Spiritual Gangster. Um, they are really known for their graphic styles. And this is a brand rooted in optimism. Um, and for Mother's Day, they have so a mom and mini, so a little little kiddo and a mom matching set. They're made from eco-conscious performance fabrics that really just have a great hand to them. It's a wonderful look for mom and mini matching moment. Um, so go to spiritualgangster.com for really um, adorable athleisure hmm. Mother's Day gift. Okay. Uh, on the subject of fashion, because it's a very uh, highly personalized thing, not every mom necessarily is going to be into the athleisure look. What other uh, trends are out there that would be good for Mother's Day? Yeah, you know, Rainy Brook is a female-founded and, uh, you know, operated, designed fashion brand. And she is really known for her joyous, bold prints, lively colors, high-catching silhouettes. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that optimism in fashion right now. That is a big trend. So, you know, I'm looking right now at a dress from Rainy Brook that is, got these bold, powerful colors that are going to help mom feel beautiful and confident this Mother's Day. So, you know, looking for not only fashion that's going to help her look great, but also feel great. And that's a a real beautiful trend we're seeing that Rami Brooke embodies this Mother's Day. It's a great gift for mom. Some great stuff there again. Uh, Beauty and lifestyle expert Allie Fister uh, with some great gift ideas for Mother's Day. Where do we get more information, Allie? Oh, thank you so much. Go to valariahub.com for more information on all these beautiful brands. We will get that link up on our webpage just in time for Mom's Day. Allie, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. 
Coming up tomorrow on the program, the Hancock County Farmer's Market opens for the season this week. We have a preview of some new twists they're adding for 2022. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.